I'm here with Allison Ford today. Uh, she's on Instagram as a body justice therapist. Did you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Tell me a little bit about what you're about. Yeah. Hi, and, and thanks for having me on. My name is Allison Ford. Um, I'm a licensed therapist in California, and I specialize in working with eating disorders, anxiety, and OCD. And like Jacqueline said, I am on um, Instagram at body justice. It's actually dot therapist, but plus enough. Okay, so today we were just going to talk about just what she said, eating disorders, um, a little bit about OCD, and I was also interested in ERP therapy. So eating disorders is something that I'm very, I have very minimal knowledge on. So I'm actually really excited about this conversation. Um, maybe you could start off kind of talking about and correct me in any way that you can, uh, just kind of the main topics with it, the main eating disorders, maybe what differs them. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So there are um, a few main eating disorders that we commonly see and that are in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It's what we use to, to um, diagnose mental illness. So the main ones are anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, ARFID, um, OSFED, and then one that is not in the DSM yet, but is really common is orthorexia. And okay. I'll kind of explain um, the differences between all those kind of briefly. So anorexia, you know, is kind of like what we see when we think of eating disorders, like what we see yeah. the Hollywood kind of version where the person is restricting their intake to the point where they are becoming malnourished. Um, and this can happen at any body size. So the DSM is pretty steeped in weight stigma and requires that the person has lost a certain number, um, a certain amount of weight um, okay. in regards to the BMI. However, that is like very outdated science and you can be malnourished at any size. So I treat people with anorexia in all body types. Um, the person is restricting their food um, and develops fears around certain foods and an intense fear of weight gain. Um, there's brain changes that go on in all of these eating disorders. Okay. Um, bulimia nervosa is where there's a pattern of binging, so eating large quantities of food, um, and then purging. And that can either be through vomiting or um, obsessive exercise but there's this like compulsive need to like get rid basically. Mm -hmm. um, and then binge eating disorder is where someone is um, repeatedly eating large quantities of food, much larger than, you know, just like a bag of chips or, you know, um, a whole yeah. thing of ice cream. It's intensely large amounts of food and the person feels out of control um, and feels like they, yeah, they, they can't stop it. They feel a lot of shame about it. Um, and it really impacts the person's quality of life. They feel as if kind of something has taken over during these binges. Um, and yeah, binge eating disorder is actually the most common eating disorder. Um, and it can also happen in all body sizes. So it doesn't mean that the person isn't living in a larger body, like what a lot of people think can mm -hmm. happen at any body size. And then ARFID is kind of this avoidance of certain textures and sensations around food less about body image or fear of weight gain and more about um, fears of these certain like textures and sensations and of food and this fear of vomiting and choking to the point where the person's intake becomes very restricted and um, you know they're they're not getting their nutrient needs met. That's interesting. Um, I've never heard of ARFID until today. 
Yeah, it's one of the lesser talked about ones, but it's it's really common. It's common with, um, it's usually diagnosed in childhood. Okay. Um, so you'll see it a lot with kids and usually they're labeled as like picky eaters, but it's a lot more than just being a picky eater. Yeah. And then orthorexia is um, this kind of obsession with quote unquote healthy eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see it so much in our culture today with just like the impact of diet and wellness culture. The person um, is really obsessed with like getting clean or organic foods and, you know, really um, thinking that it's in the name of health, but then ends up becoming scared of eating, you know, more normal foods. Yeah. So with all of these, it's important to know that um, the symptoms start disrupting the person's quality of life. So relationships, occupation, um, and that makes it to the severity of an eating disorder. So I have something, I was never diagnosed with an eating disorder or anything, but I have health anxiety. And when I was Mm -hmm. going through this health anxiety, I had a fear of allergies. And so this restricted my eating to almost nothing. Like I was only eating like carrots and brown rice, I think, because I was just afraid that everything was going to cause an allergic reaction. So I can kind of relate to the after effects of that, of how that makes your body feel not being not having that proper nutrition and just how that would make you feel. Um, I was wondering what made you want to specialize in eating disorders? Yeah. So I went through my own eating disorder recovery when I was a teenager and um, took me a couple of years to recover. And then after recovery, I just became really passionate about wanting to help others because I just felt like you know, I, I thought that there was no hope for me when I was struggling in the grips of my anorexia mm-hmm. and um, really didn't think I would ever get to this point where food is just food, right? And just this freedom I have in life. And so really wanted to be able to help people find that same freedom. What advice do you have for just explaining what an eating disorder is to someone who might be not understanding, maybe someone who's a parent or lives in the same household as someone who has an eating disorder that might just not understand that it's more than just not eating. Do you have any advice on how that could be explained to them maybe? Absolutely. Um, I think there's so many myths about eating disorders. We tend to think that it's um, just kind of like a diet gone bad or it's about vanity and those couldn't be further from the truth. Um, Eating disorders are biopsychosocial mental illnesses. There's actual brain changes that happen that um, make it hard for the person to eat normally. Um, So there's, I always kind of say it's like this perfect storm of genetic environment and personality factors. So the person's usually got um, genetic predisposition for an eating disorder, and then something in the environment triggers that gene to express itself. So this could be going through um, an intense period of stress or transition um, or, you know, the impacts of diet culture. We just all live in diet culture. And so you know, we're always fed these messages from day one about what we should or shouldn't be eating. And for the person that's got the genetics of an eating disorder, we latch onto that and become very black and white and Mm -hmm. um, trauma can definitely impact it. And then there's personality factors involved, like perfectionism and harm avoidance. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. In what way would trauma influence this? 
So like I said, there's um, genetic environment and personality yeah. factors. And so if you've got the genetic link for an eating disorder, okay. and then let's say you go through a trauma, well, that can become a way to then cope with the symptoms of trauma because okay. there's studies that show using eating disorder behaviors actually quiet trauma symptoms. So it's a way to survive, right? And cope with like flashbacks and nightmares and all the things that come with trauma. And it's very interesting because specifically for people with anorexia, um, there's, there's neuropsych research that shows when people with anorexia restrict food, um, anxiety decreases. Whereas for a person without anorexia, you restrict food and you become hangry and irritable and more anxious, right? So it really is, um, a survival strategy in that sense. So is that kind of similar or not to how OCD has a connection with it? Cause I was just looking through your account, um, and all the education with that. Is that similar? Similar. Yes. So, um, OCD and eating disorders are, have so many similarities. They're all kind of rooted in anxiety. Um, that's, that's the way I look at it. And then with OCD, there's obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions do not mean the person likes it. Obsessions are like a really scary thought or image or feeling that the person cannot get out of their head. So you with health anxiety, right? There's intrusive thoughts around like what's going to happen. And then with eating disorders, the obsessions manifest um, in things related to food and body. And the compulsions are things like restricting, binging and purging, counting calories. So yeah, they're very connected. Okay. You mentioned uh, counting calories. Is that something that I I guess I'm trying to ask, like, what are things to watch out for if you suspect that somebody is suffering from an eating disorder? Yeah. So you would really want to look at, you know, notice things like becoming obsessive with calorie counting. Unfortunately, like our our world is a bit disordered in their eating now because of how rampant wellness and diet culture is. But um, yeah, like obsessively counting calories, obsessively exercising, the person will not seem very happy, Mm -hmm. Um, probably saying no to social or family functions so that they can avoid eating certain foods. Um, If they seem anxious around food, you know, those would all be kind of warning signs. I think that's got to be so difficult to distinguish whether what was the one that you mentioned um, is with a lot of healthy eating orthorexia orthorexia I feel like that's got to be hard to distinguish when somebody is taking really good care of their health than suffering from eating disorder so that's got to be hard to pick up on those signs absolutely that's one of the ones that goes um miss uh people oversee it so much and that's actually how my eating disorder started was um in the name of health I got super into like CrossFit and paleo because that's what I was told was going to be good for me And then um, because I had the genetic link for an eating disorder, it triggered full-blown anorexia. So Um, I also saw on your account that people in uh, LGBTQ community, sorry, there's a higher risk there. Can you explain that a little bit? I know I saw the post, but just for the purpose of the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So anyone with any marginalized identity, including LGBTQAII plus folks, as well as, you know, um, people of color, um, people with disabilities, mm-hmm. there's so much oppression, you know, that happens in the, in the life of a marginalized person and eating disorders become a way to cope. 
And especially in the LGBTQ community, there is a different type of body ideal for um, spe specifically gay men. There's um, okay. a lot of research about like this gay male physique, how people are supposed to, you know, look and conform to. Yeah. Um, so, and, and same with uh, trans identifying folks, right? Like there's this need to, or this desire to want to become more gender affirming. Um, and so the person may alter their body um, for those reasons and unknowingly trigger, you know, disordered eating. So is ERP treatment an approach that would benefit this or would you suggest another approach? Yeah, so you can absolutely um, use ERP, exposure response prevention therapy for yeah. both eating disorders and it's the gold standard treatment for OCD but it's totally a part of eating disorder treatment too where we, you know, face fear foods, we reduce compulsions, but there's also, I would say, um, a lot more within eating disorders beyond ERP. You know, there's usually like childhood trauma that's influencing yeah. it and other forms of therapy that work really well, too. So what might be some examples of how you could use ERP therapy for um, treating an eating disorder? Yeah, so for treating an eating disorder, we would um, look at all the compulsions that the person's doing to avoid their fear, right? So if we took yeah. anorexia as an example, the fear is weight gain, the person is probably restricting food, maybe compulsively yeah. exercising, counting calories. There's behaviors like cutting food into really small pieces, using really small cutlery, yeah. following all these rules, right? And then we would gradually challenge those rules by taking them away from least anxiety provoking to um, highest and help the person cope in other ways. Yeah. See, I never officially um, did ERP therapy, but I do have OCD and I actually learned about it further along in my recovery. But it's interesting because before I even knew what it was, the things that helped me the most with my health anxiety and not eating food, I used to obsessively, I used to wash like forks and knives and stuff because I thought there might be like peanut butter contamination on them. Doing mm -hmm. that stuff and slowly exposing myself to that stuff reduced my anxiety the most. So it's interesting. Yes. People always, you know, when I have a new client that we're doing ERP, they're like, what, how is this going to help me? This is like going to make yeah. my anxiety worse, it right? It feels like the opposite of what you want to be doing. Oh yeah. It's, it's not fun, but like you said, right. When we reduce those compulsions, the compulsions are what actually fuel the anxiety. Yeah. So yeah, it's the same kind of framework for eating disorders too. Definitely feels unnatural, but the most beneficial. Yeah, it's such a wonderful treatment. So what's a way that you recommend bringing this up to somebody? So if you kind of recognize these signs in somebody that you suspect they might have an eating disorder, it's obviously a really touchy subject and that can be an emotional thing to talk about. Do you have any suggestions for how you can bring that up to somebody? Yeah, absolutely. So for parents or loved ones, it can be really tricky because um, you might fear that if you bring it up, that the person will push you away. Um, and that yeah. might happen at first. However, what I always recommend is, is for parents specifically and loved ones to just be really clear, you know, really compassionate, but clear. Like it look, it sounds, it looks like you might be struggling and with something related to food or your body. Mm -hmm. And I want to help you get the help you need, you know, so offering compassion, um, offering to just be there for them, um, and, and getting, doing a bunch of your own knowledge and research, yeah. research so that, you know, you know, you have options to show them, Hey, like I found this, like, this is how we could get help. Look on the national eating disorder association website. There is, um, 
a parent toolkit that really okay. outlines ways you can help people and what you could do for your child or loved one. I didn't know that. That's um, interesting. Yeah, it's a really great resource. And, but yes, I think overall being really compassionate, but firm too, like, you know, you don't want to beat around the bush. You want to be open yeah. um, because eating disorders thrive in shame and secrecy. Oh, do they? Yeah, definitely. So um, you want to help the person be able to recognize it. And, and there's a, con especially with anorexia, there's typically okay. this feeling of um, not being sick enough. And so feeling like, oh, because I don't fit this like Hollywood version yeah. of anorexia, I must not really have that much of a problem. But that is, again, couldn't be further from the truth. If you're, if anyone listening is struggling with, you know, thoughts about food or their body, you are sick enough to find freedom from that because it's like a snowball effect. It only gets worse. So much better to um, catch it before it's bigger. I think that kind of goes along with something else that I, I just have my page written down here. Sorry. And yeah, no. what are things that you wouldn't or shouldn't say to somebody who has an eating disorder? I know that there's so many things out there and there's also a lot of stigma around this. Um, it goes along with what I was saying earlier, um, where a lot of times there will be parents who just, it's more, they think of it more black and white, or you just need to eat food. And what mm -hmm. are some things that you might not, that you shouldn't do? Yeah. So definitely you don't want to say things like, well, you don't look like you have an eating disorder. Yeah. Cause again, that just fuels that you're not sick enough mentality. Yeah. Um, you don't want to make any shaming comments about food choices or body stuff, even mm -hmm. your own. So when the person suffering has someone in their life, that's really kind of focused on their own bodies okay. or food stuff that can be yeah. super triggering. Um, you want to help the person really normalize all foods so really taking an all foods fit approach in your household, um, not using words like good or bad when we talk about food um, and yeah, just really modeling, you know, and, and avoiding shaming comments about food and body stuff. Okay. Do you have any advice for somebody who might be interested in therapy and getting help for their eating disorder? Totally. Yeah. I would recommend. So with eating disorders, it's important to have a treatment team approach. So finding a therapist that specializes in eating disorders is very important. There's a lot of um, therapists that will say, oh yeah, I've worked with eating disorders, but it's okay to ask, do you specialize in this though? What is the training you've had in this? How many people have you helped with eating disorders? Because otherwise the therapist can do more harm if they don't have the awareness and knowledge and specialized training. Mm -hmm. um, and then also having a dietitian that is trained in eating disorders is very important because it is about the food as well. Um, it's like the tip of the iceberg, I like to yeah. say. And um, there's also options like recovery coaches and things like that, psychiatrists, medicine can be helpful too when the person's gotten to a point where they're pretty depressed or anxious. Yeah. So really taking a treatment team approach, also a medical doctor, um, because these illnesses do impact um, our physical bodies. And so really important to have a treatment team that's looking at all angles of the recovery. Okay. This is good. Um, do you think that you could go over, I know that you've talked a little bit about this already, just again, the factors that contribute to eating disorders. I just want to really emphasize this in the podcast. 
Yeah, so it's a biopsychosocial influence. So there is genetic factors. There's a lot of great research being done in neuropsych about just yeah. different genes and different brain, um, what's the word, brain structures that people with eating disorders have compared to people that don't have eating disorders. And then um, environmental factors like diet, culture, experiencing trauma, experiencing stress, um, and you know, going through major life transitions, really common time for eating disorders to creep up is high school and college and kind of that transition period. Yeah. Um, and you know, or having a parent that struggles with their own food and body stuff. And then personality factors like perfectionism and harm avoidance. Harm avoidance is like really not wanting to do the wrong thing. So when you're being told from diet culture and wellness culture, like this is how you should eat, mm-hmm. you know, the person without an eating disorder might take it kind of with a grain of salt. Um, but the person with an eating disorder, we have this harm avoidance where we really, it comes from a, such a lovely place of just like not wanting to do harm, but we take it to this black and white kind of extreme of like yeah. that food. If I was told that food's bad, then it's really bad. I can't ever touch it. I can't eat it. You know? So it just really, um, there's so many different factors, but that's kind of how that perfect storm, like I said, gets created yeah. is a kind of a blend of all of those. So what makes someone with like one personality over another? So one personality has perfectionism. What, um, when you look deeper into it, what makes that personality more likely to suffer from the eating disorder? Yeah. So it's not like a personality specific, but more like personality traits, So someone with perfectionism or high anxiety or harm avoidance, and not everyone with an eating disorder will have all of those, but those are some kind of um, common ones that we Mm -hmm. personality traits we see in eating disorders. Um, And yeah, it's hard to say like what, you know, again, I think it goes back to like the genetic influences. So if you have the genetic influence and the personality factors, you're more likely to develop an eating disorder than someone who maybe doesn't have the genetic component, but has perfectionism. Perfectionism is also seen in OCD, anxiety and harm avoidance are also seen in OCD. So yeah, it really comes back to that full circle. How can you, how can you kind of cope with this when you are a parent and you have a child struggling through this, even if you don't understand what are just some things you can do to take care of yourself, even if you don't fully understand the situation? I don't know if that makes sense. Yes. No, this is a great question because it can be it, so hard to watch your child go through something that you don't understand. It does. And it wrecks havoc on the family because for the non-sufferers in the family, they're like, it, just eat. Right. But they don't yeah. understand that it's so much more than that. So number one, getting some good education on what eating disorders are. Um, there's some awesome books and podcasts and things like that. Um, But again, I would recommend going to the NIDA website, National Eating Disorder Association. Look at the parent toolkit. Also just all over their website, there's tons of information on eating disorders and what recovery entails and different levels of care of treatment. But also just for the psychological impact for the parents, because it is very taxing to take care of someone with an eating disorder. I often recommend my parents to, my client's parents to work with their own therapist Um, really helpful if the therapist has knowledge of eating disorders. So they know how to kind of coach the parent on how to support their child, Um, you know, and then finding 
for the child therapist, a therapist that is willing to communicate with them often about the treatment process. So I often have a session where parents will come in and I'll, I will educate them on all this stuff and tell them how they can be supportive. So making sure they're involving the parents in the child's treatment is very important. And then there's also lots of support groups for parents and family members okay. where they can other we can they can meet other um, parents that are going through the same thing. There's some eating disorder group practices, one I know of called Recovered and Restored, um, who has parent coaching as a part of their practice specifically for this niche area of helping parents with clients with eating disorders. I just know that one of the best things, so when I was going through my anxiety and I stopped eating food and all of that, my parents didn't really have a good understanding. They're wonderful now. They've, they're very educated on now, but they had no idea that anxiety could manifest like this. So yeah. that took a big toll on them where one day I was eating lots of food and it was almost like the next week I was eating like probably 300 calories a day. So yeah. that was, that took a big toll on them just because they had no idea what to do because they didn't really understand the situation. And I do find that education was the best way for them to deal with that. Yes. Um, so important. Yeah. And books yeah. that I would recommend are the eight keys to eating disorder recovery. Um, Actually, if you list them, then I'll put them in the bio, in my bio, yeah. and I'll list them at the on the bottom of the podcast. Totally. Okay. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to add on this subject? Anything that you want to add about yourself? Maybe something that you've been through? I don't think so. I think maybe just, I really want to emphasize that recovery is possible. Yeah, um, definitely. Like I said, it can feel, and you've probably can feel similar, but it, when you're going through it, it feels impossible. It feels like you have to climb up the tallest mountain ever and that it is just like so terrifying. It feels like you are jumping off a cliff, right? Yes. Um, I never thought that I was going to get better ever to be no. even sitting here today and to be on a podcast with someone who's a mental health professional. That's something I would not have foreseen myself three years ago. Agreed. I, I would never have envisioned myself in this situation either. So I guess to just provide people hope, you know, that of course, recovery from any mental illness, especially in the U.S., is a privilege, right? It's so expensive. But if you have access to resources and even looking into like free resources, which I can send you to link in the show notes. Okay, perfect. Um, just knowing that it is possible. It's slow. It's not linear. There's going to be ups and downs, but it's 100% possible and, and so worth it. So much life doesn't mean that life is perfect after an eating disorder or OCD, yeah. right? But it is so much more manageable. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show and talking about this. I think that it's one thing to have a podcast, but it's another thing to be able to interview mental health professionals who can properly educate everybody on how you can help yourself with this, how therapy can help you, how you can, every different aspect of it, how you can help yourself as a parent, how you can go through this and get help. I think that that's a very important thing to have proper education on. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, thank you for coming on the show and thank you everybody for coming out who's watching this. Um, and there are going to be resources in the show notes, as Allison said. Uh, anything you want to say? No, that's it. Just um, you guys can find me at bodyjustice.therapist and my website is www.allisonfordcounselingservices.com. And yeah, thank you, Jacqueline, for having me on.